Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hi everyone, it's Chris here from the Naked Gaming Podcast team. Welcome to the second episode of Monkey Island Discs. This month we're hearing from the host of BBC Radio 3's Sound of Gaming. That's Louise Blaine. She's a huge fan of Assassin's Creed, all things gaming of course, and horror. In fact, she hosts a true crime podcast all about true crime podcasts and it's called Kilt. That's K-I-L-L-T, so check it out. This was a fun chat. We started at the beginning, of course, with early gaming memories. My brother and I, we didn't have a console for a long time, actually. I played I played Mario at other people's houses. I played Sonic at people's houses. And we actually, I ended up at one point, I think I borrowed a Game Gear from someone. And I think my parents <laughs> thought that that I would hate it and that was why they'd sort of let me borrow it that I would really not like it and of course I loved it and so did my brother (laughs) and then we actually our first console was a PlayStation 1 so the little grey box Um, but we actually it was really cool we actually do you remember when this happened you would rent a video game console do you remember that yes unbelievable I know for the weekend yeah so we rented we rented a PlayStation before we got it and I remember we got Crash Bandicoot which became just one of my absolute iconic games and we rented twisted metal and that was back when you could do like that split screen and i think tomb raider 2 as well so we we rented all of those loved them and then that christmas we got one and there was that gray there was the the one wrapped box between where both our christmas presents were and that was our shared playstation <laughs> and from and there you probably just, knew what it was <laughs> absolutely and from there it just took off really it was just i think um my brother and i we really bonded over gaming it was such a lovely thing like my dad would come home every month with official playstation magazine which i then eventually got 20 years later got to write for and it was just he would he would bring that in and my brother would get to play the demo disc first and then I would read the magazine and then we'd take turns and I've just got such brilliant memories of growing up with that console which I think has really come into the future with me and PlayStation working for official PlayStation magazine was like the dream I mean I got to write Chris I got to write the demo disc page which for oh, me was a, just that's amazing the, it was it was unbelievable it was just the, the best thing to do so I have a real affinity with PlayStation I obviously I love my Xbox as well but I have this just this connection with that brand because it's just so associated with all of those gaming joyful moments for me. You've mentioned two things that I completely identify and had exactly the same experience of you as. One was going around to a friend's house, not having a console to start with and playing Final Fantasy VII oh. and just thinking, I didn't really talk to this friend of mine. I just used to want to go to his house just to, <laughs> to play, play Final games. Fantasy VII. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know what the game was called. And it only was years later where someone said, oh, they're re-releasing you know, th- this on the PlayStation 4 now. They're remaking the old game. And I thought, it's the same one. It's the one. So that happened to me. And secondly, with the demo discs. Yeah. Demo discs were such a huge feature, weren't they? Like nowadays, they, I mean, you can download a demo for almost any game, uh, you know, through the internet. It's not as special as putting in the demo disc and seeing which of the five, six, seven games on there you actually like to play. It's an amazing thing. 
totally. The demo disc was just, I mean, I think a lot of people have really good memories of the demo disc because there were sometimes, I mean, games were, as they are now, expensive. They're really expensive. I mean, actually, sneakily, we had a chipped PlayStation back oh, in the day. You were so one it, of meant those we, it meant that we could, um, <laughs> it meant that we could play things like all the, the new games because it, it was really expensive and we really couldn't yeah. afford to buy all the new games. So a demo disc at that point was just this portal of all these little games that maybe you'd never play the full game of. I mean, I probably have memories of some games purely from the demo just from that one looping bit which we did over and over and over again (laughs) it's such a nice early memory and it sounds like you got on well um with your brother then so there wasn't too much fighting over who got to play no we bonded really i think we knew that if we fought then we wouldn't get to play so we were actually it was kind of the dream i think we'd probably play and that would probably be the time where we'd get along the best and i mean i remember we we were playing tomb raider 2 which was such a hard game. And we also had that we had the strategy guide. And I seem to remember that that strategy guide by the end of its life was just pages everywhere. Totally (laughs) the fact that we desperately tried to do one boulder trap after the next. But I think, yeah, really positive bonding. And I think my brother and I, now that I work in, in games and we still talk about games, I mean, we don't live in the same city. I haven't seen him for, I haven't seen him for over a year because of COVID. But We've talked a lot about Assassin's Creed. We've talked a lot about what he's doing in Demon's Souls. So actually, it kind of brings us together still. Well, let's talk about Assassin's Creed because I'm, I'm going to ask you about your favourite game of all time, but I already know you're going to say Assassin's Creed. Yes. So it's Assassin's Creed, for those who haven't played, you must play it firstly because it's amazing. Yes. And secondly, you are a, an assassin, obviously, as the name would suggest. You're sneaking around. You can assassinate kind of big bosses, but the, you don't just run in and charge in with a big sword, although you can nowadays in the latest games you try and sneak around the rooftops drop in just behind them pull off the perfect move and then you're on your way kind of thing trying to escape so of that huge series which is now i think there's about 10 games at the very least and mobile games as well yeah is it the very first one that's your favorite no so my experiences with assassin's creed were again from my brother who when I bought a PS3 I'd had a PS2 when I was at uni I think I'd spent some student loan money on it and I played all the iToy stuff and I remember playing Samba de Amigo and getting my arms absolutely exhausted but after a while I didn't have a console for a bit and then I bought a PS3 and I bought a PS3 because it was also a really good cheap way to get a Blu-ray player back when you actually wanted a Blu-ray player yeah um And so I had this new PS3, I had a new TV and I thought, right, I need to catch up. I've missed a few years. And my brother gave me Assassin's Creed 2 to play. And this was at the same time he was playing Brotherhood. So it was only a year old at that point. And I had to then teach myself twin stick controls because in the time between my PS2 and PS3 games, suddenly if, you know, you control your character with the left stick and you control your camera with the right. And that had not been put into my head yet. I hadn't learned that. So I actually used Assassin's Creed 2 as my learning for how to do that. What a way to start off. I know, because that game is notorious. I mean, you have to develop what they call the Assassin's Creed Claw. Yes, Which back in the the day, (laughs) you had to hold R2 to free run and to climb. Um, So I had to teach myself that too. But what it did was um, Assassin's Creed 2 is Ezio Auditore da Firenze, who is an assassin in Renaissance Italy in the 15th century. And it's just the most beautiful game because you explore Tuscany and you explore Venice and you you have this wonderful little city of your own called Monteregione and it just keeps getting bigger. And the music from Jesper Kidd, it's just, I think that's one of my favourite soundtracks of all time because it's associated with what 
games could be and what games could become. Um, suddenly I was in this beautiful and, and you know, PS, PS3 graphics, they're not obviously up to scratch now, but it was still beautiful and it looked the lighting in those games and the sense of adventure as you rode between them and you were going on a gondola in Venice and you could literally do that. And all of that was suddenly like, it was like waking up. It was like suddenly like, this is games and this is amazing. And actually it's not games. It's just how Assassin's Creed 2 will make you feel, but it's the potential. So I have so much wrapped into that wonderful story, the future and the past stuff that I can't disassociate the Assassin's Creed franchise for what it gave me in terms of how I felt about games. So while other Assassin's Creeds are brilliant and I absolutely adore Valhalla and especially Syndicate, which is the Victorian London version, and Black Flag, which is the pirate simulator. I like the Black Flag a lot. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. I can't ever say that my favourite game isn't Assassin's Creed 2 because it just meant a lot. Yeah, So yeah. that was a long way of saying, yes, Assassin's Creed 2. Sorry. <laughs> is there one game in the history of your playing of games that you really hate? Is there one that you would very happily bin and never play again? So I think when you review games for a long time, and especially when you're just starting in games journalism and editors give you terrible games to review that have a hundred <laughs> word reviews, over the time, there is one game that I absolutely despise that I think is really, really hateful and disgusting. And it's a game called Agony. Have you heard of Agony? Agony? I haven't heard of Agony, no. Tell me about Agony. Agony is literally Agony. So Agony is a survival horror type experience where you go to hell and you experience lots of hellish things and you're going deeper and deeper into hell and it's full of really really disturbing imagery and it's full of disturbing imagery in the way that the devs because thing is i love um i love horror films i'm a big big fan of horror films and i love horror and i think it's really interesting psychologically what horror of all kinds can do yeah but what these developers did was they went oh this will really disturb people this will really scare people so they put in really disgusting imagery of children dying and oh just just all kinds of really hateful stuff chris really really hateful stuff and then they made a big deal out of the they said oh we're going to be censored because we're so cool and edgy and then the thing was the game in the middle of it was just dire it was just (laughs) walking around in this red world that was hideous the, the checkpoints were terrible. The saves were terrible. There was no... The puzzles were useless. There was no... I mean, the things that make a game a game, nobody really thinks about because if they work properly, you don't notice them. But the minute they don't work properly, the minute the signposting is terrible, where you're actually going, hey, where do I go now? What happens here? So I hated it for... It was hateful. It was disgusting. It was completely puerile. And it also didn't function as a game. And that, that to me is awful it ticks or crosses all of the boxes so that's my worst possible game but i mean thankfully there's not actually that many agonies in the world so you can tend to always find something somewhere but i think my i kind of have i have pet hates in games because i don't like it when if the signposting is too obvious you know like this is a dead end you start to lose your suspended disbelief you know you start to realize that you're playing a game but what are the things that do it for you so I know that a lot of people absolutely love this and I understand that it makes them feel like they're living something real. But the reason that I play games is for escapism. So I hate over-encumbrance in games. I hate it. What, when your character's too heavy to move or something? Yes. Yeah, when you pick up too much stuff. Oh, that you're totally right. So I hate picking up too much stuff. And the problem 
is I understand that Skyrim is a beautiful, wonderful fantasy experience that people have played about eight or nine times. The problem I have is that in Skyrim, I pick up all the forks because they're all there. <laughs> You're like me in Fallout. <laughs> you just There's a mug. I want it. There's a, an ashtray. I'm having that as well. <laughs> yes, because I'm always so afraid that I'll get to a room and a character says, but Louise where are all the forks? And I'll say, I passed them all by because someone told me that I didn't have to pick them up. So I have, so both in Skyrim and Fallout, I end up completely over encumbered. But I really enjoyed Fallout 4 yes, and the fact same. that all of that junk was useful because you could craft with it. I know, finally. Yeah, so that made it even worse almost because all I really did in that game was go get stuff, take it back, make more stuff. Hoover yes. everything up. <laughs> so that's my... But you're yeah. totally right though because, because in, there'll be a mission... Uh, in, I think it's in Fallout 4, you know, you'll turn up somewhere and they'll go, oh, by the way, have you got 50, you know, claws of a yeah. something? And then you think, well, no, because I'm used to not yeah. picking this stuff up. So you, like you say, you worry that you're going to get to that point and then you're going to have to go searching around for stupid claws totally. for five hours. When you'd already been them because you thought you didn't need them because people have been telling you to let go of things. I can't let go. We can't frozen in these situations. I can't do it. So I play games like Assassin's Creed where I fill my pockets with concrete and nobody says anything. <laughs> <laughs> Hundreds of tons of concrete and that yes. is fine. You probably like Minecraft's probably right up your street because you can oh, carry totally. thousands of bits of wood. Infinite. <laughs> Stop kidding around, Snake. And tell us about game character-wise. Is there one character that you would like to be? I know a lot of people do things like cosplaying and they go to conventions and they dress up as characters. Uh, in our first episode, OJ Borge said that he wanted to be someone from Far Cry, the one with the island. Yeah, he said he wanted to be Jason. Yeah, which is quite an interesting choice, I thought, because you wouldn't immediately think that. But I suppose that game had a huge resonance with him. Yeah. So with you, is there, a, is there a particular character that you maybe identify with or that you just like to be? You know, when I think about who I'd like to cosplay as, when it comes to cosplay, I would love to cosplay as my destiny hunter because she's so cool. She has the coolest clothes. She has an amazing cape. I always love changing her cape out. Um, she's just, I, lo I love her. And it's weird because it's strange, isn't it, when you identify with someone that doesn't actually say anything. And she doesn't say anything. It's just me and the ghost. But I love, I kind of love the idea of all these powers. And I think... It comes down to sort of representation in games, doesn't it? Where you mm. um, put yourself in your characters and when someone is a blank slate, you can put anyone into that and you have a very good idea of who they are, regardless of them not saying very much. But I think in terms of other characters that I love, I think we did a special Powers episode of Sound of Gaming on Radio 3 and... What I loved about going through the, all of those special powers is the fact that there's always ones you want. So I want Jessie Faden's amazing telekinesis from Control and I want her leather jacket because it's incredible. That's an amazing um, game, Control. Oh, yeah, it's... Um, what a game. I didn't like it initially. Oh, really? And then I got, I got into it. Yeah, I, I didn't... The writing didn't sit with me initially and then, I got, and then I got much more into it and I really, really enjoyed it. It's quite disjointed, isn't it, when you start off? It's sort of... They don't really explain, you know... Is it the director or there's some main character, the yes, chairman or something? They don't really fully, yeah. fully tell you what's going on in that game. And then it's sort of... But then the disjointedness kind of becomes part of it as you yeah. go. And it's sort of... It works. But yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. It's, I think once you get... I mean, the gun's great. All the weapon stuff's great. So I really um, I really like Jessie. And I also... I mean, I love Eivor from Valhalla because she's quite different. She's quite a different type of character. And I, of last year, despite the fact that in The Last of Us Part 2... 
I really don't like Ellie for many, many reasons. And I think everybody, no spoilers, doesn't like Ellie. But I I feel for Ellie and I love Abby as well as characters. They're both, they're both incredible, breathing human characters with very, very big flaws. Yeah, but also thank goodness for, you know, actual female characters in video games that are interesting and more than one. And it, it, just thank goodness because it's so boring playing the same kind of game over and over again, I yeah. found anyway. And wonderful because, you know, Ellie and, and you know, her her relationship with Dina, I love that so much. And I think that's so important for us to see people like us, you know, and, and seeing her, uh, Ellie and Dina's relationship is just, is, is a wonderful thing. And there was a couple of early scenes in that that I just adored that I suddenly felt, oh, I feel really seen and that's really nice. So, yeah, those are those are great characters. I'm going to let you combine here. It's a first on, the, on, on Monkey Island Disc. Who's your other part that you would have then if you're going to kind of choose those characters? Evie Fry from Assassin's Creed Syndicate with uh, Jessie's leather jacket because she's amazing. <laughs> because I actually had this really lovely moment when I was playing Assassin's Creed Syndicate for the first time. Um, I was running along a street in Victorian London and I was running down the middle of the street because of course I was running down the middle of the street. I was probably chasing someone. And there were women walking by in traditional Victorian garb. Yeah. And I had this moment of, I always want to be like this and I don't want to be like them. And it was a real transferable moment of, I never want to be seen as just that, as just expected to look pretty and nothing else. I'm always going to be the assassin running down the middle of the street. And if I'm allowed Jesse's powers, I'll be the telekinetic assassin running down the middle of the street in a great leather jacket. And that is my perfect character. The knives are just flying, assassinating people as you go. <laughs> for days, just knives for days. <laughs> Do you have a favourite console that you're playing nowadays? And, and if so, what kind of games are you going for? So I've actually been jumping around a lot recently. I'm quite I'm quite fortunate in the fact that I have a PlayStation 5 and an Xbox Series X. And I've really been enjoying Xbox's Game Pass options. So last night I was playing Sea of Thieves with a couple of friends, which I found really, really nice. Um, but I've also been playing, again, on Xbox Outriders, which is also weirdly compelling for just another game where you shoot things for loot. It's got those little dopamine hits that are just enough. It's like, oh, this is bigger. This is bigger. This is more powerful. I'm going to shoot more people. Um, Which doesn't make me in a good light. I do like doing other things (laughs) other than murdering people, which (laughs) funnily enough, I've been playing... um, I love the Planet, the Frontiers, Planet Zoo and Planet Coaster games. I really love... I love those games. So it was actually really nice. Over Easter weekend, I sat down uh, with my laptop and I played hours of Planet Coaster. And I think I spent about three hours just organising a plaza and designing it. And that was just lovely peace. And it was just super chill. So I think it's nice to be able to balance your shooting everything and assassinating everything with nice games like Stardew or Animal Crossing or, or Planet Coaster or Sims. So I quite like to balance it out and try everything else. But I'm really, I mean, this year, I'm really hoping the new Horizon Zero Dawn comes for PlayStation that'll be big and also Far Cry 6 that's coming at some point but I'm kind of intrigued as to what games will actually come out obviously because of all the delays from working from home and things but it means we might get a chance to actually play our backlog Chris what's on your backlog right do you want to actually have got two full lists of backlog games (laughs) everyone's got (laughs) games that they wish that they'd had time to play right and I have two lists uh, it's called my gaming backlog list and there's about 50 on there Mm -hmm. Uh, Kingdom Hearts the latest Kingdom Hearts game I never played that okay because I went back and started with one two then I did all the downloadable content watched this four hour opera film uh, but I never played the latest release so (laughs) 
I need to do that. Um, God of War to do properly, the PlayStation God of War, because I've played a bit, but, you know, a lot of these games I've played, like, half an hour to an hour of, like, Final Fantasy VII Remake, but I haven't actually done the 40-hour, 60-hour in-depth play that I really, truly want to do. We just run out of time, don't we? That's the problem. It's like... What happens when I spend 180 hours playing Valhalla is I miss 180 hours of other games. Do I regret it? No. Exactly. I don't regret it, but I just want more time. <laughs> Have you played Ghost of Tsushima? That's what I wanted to ask you. So I started Ghost of Tsushima. Um, and again, that's one of those ones like that that I played a couple of hours of. So I actually, I think I think there was a PlayStation 5 free upgrade. A multiplayer update as well, yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So I definitely, that needs to be at the top, actually, because that's a beautiful game. And I love those. I mean, it's kind of assassins isn't it? A big open world of places to go and so and with a sword. So it should be right up my street. So I should go back. And it has the most incredible soundtrack from Elan Ishgeri. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm sure you featured that before on Sound of Gaming, haven't you? I'm sure. Yes, we did. Tell us a little bit about Sound of Gaming as well, because it's such a great series and it's something that I've had the great joy to introduce once or twice on the radio myself and it's it's right up my street it's my kind of program if you're a gamer and you love music you can catch up with the latest releases on a monthly basis now as well yeah and we were actually we were quite irregular last year but now uh, since our april episode the first saturday of every month at three o'clock on radio three is a sound of gaming day and basically every month we go through a different sort of theme of of types of games and we have done sort of things like first person shooters but we also kind of go into slightly sort of more in-depth things like at the moment we've done special powers we've got some really interesting stuff coming up talk about the best scores from those things we've also got our what we call our cutscene, which when we speak to a composer about what they're working on and they break down some of their best scores which is really exciting just to hear the background of things because hearing you know Enon Zur who was the Fallout 4 composer talking about how he took uh, his pieces to Todd Howard and had the responses of Todd so it's kind of like a composer's commentary on the soundtrack that you hear so it's always really interesting to do that and we also have what we call our concert hall moment which is when we take a track that has been performed by a live orchestra and sort of talk about the ways that that's changed things so we get to talk about different themes different games and also sort of deep dive with composers which is so exciting yeah and i urge people to listen to it because it's even if you just love gaming and you don't know that much about music you certainly will by the end of the program and it gives you such a an insight that when you are playing fallout 4 for example uh, or games with like generative music, where the music changes based on what you're doing, it gives you such a huge insight into how it actually works. So please, everybody, give it a listen. And Louise, thank you so much for talking to us. We really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Long may you continue to have your show. I hope so. Fingers crossed. Thanks for having me. <laughs> And that's it from us in this episode. If you're enjoying Monkey Island Discs, do give us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen. We'll be back with our news update episode very soon. And if you subscribe, you'll get it ASAP. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. (laughs) 